church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to McCall's. If this is your first time, we are thrilled that you are with us. My name is Aaron, one of the pastors here. I want to start with this. C.S. Lewis, uh, the famous author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, before he became a Christian, was a self-described atheist. One day he was asked, C.S. Lewis, why do you not believe in God? And here's how he answered. Look at the universe in which we live. By, uh, by far, the greatest part of it is empty space, cold and dark. On earth, life is so arranged that all forms of it can live only by preying on one another. Human beings appear to have a special quality called consciousness, which enables them to suffer pain more than most. These creatures cause pain by being born, live by inflicting pain, and in pain they mostly die. Furthermore, the universe will one day cease to be... All stories will come to nothing. All life will turn out in the end to have been a transitory and senseless contortion upon the idiotic face of infinite matter. If you ask me to believe that this is the work of a benevolent and omnipotent God, I reply that the evidence points in the opposite direction. By the way, happy Sunday to you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Well, today we are continuing our series asking for a friend. We're looking at some of the big questions that we all have. We say for a friend, but they're questions that live inside of us. And the question we're going to wrestle with today might just be the most important question of all. Uh, in fact, the Barna Research Group did a study uh, just a few years ago, and, and the question that is not just the question of those who do not believe in God, but the number one question for those who identify as Christians is the exact same. You know what the question is? It's this. How can there be a good God when there is so much suffering in this world? How can there be a good God when there is so much suffering in this world? That's the question I want to wrestle with today. Now, I need to say up front that uh, there's kind of two parts to this question, right? Uh, the first part is the part you might have dealt with in, in, your, uh, in your debate club in high school or maybe in a philosophy class uh, in college, but it's kind of the intellectual, philosophical part, right? And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to look at this question with our minds. We want to be thinking, thinking people. But there's another part that is much deeper than just kind of head knowledge. And and today, if you're in the midst of suffering yourself, or you're you're asking this question, God, where are you? It hurts so bad. My hope is that when we get to the second part of the service today you might find, you might discover a renewed hope in God's goodness as we hear a story of someone who's done just that. So, first ten minutes, we're going to engage our brain, then I'm going to invite a friend up to join me, and we're going to do some heart stuff. Sound like a plan? All right, so for note-takers, the first part, ten minutes, I'm going to go pretty quick here. Three questions that kind of help us understand what Christians believe about suffering. Question number one, did God create suffering? Maybe you've wondered that. Did God create suffering? What Christians believe is that human suffering is the result not of God, but of something called sin. The word sin is an archery term. It simply means to miss the mark, to, to not hit the target. And so anytime human beings choose to act in a way that does not hit the target for how God 
desires them, we say that is sin. Human beings were created, and when God created them, God gave them the freedom to choose how they would live and how they would treat one another. And this is exactly what we see in the very first book of the Bible in the second chapter of Genesis. Let me read this to you. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Interesting, a choice. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, boy, we could spend the next 20 weeks just on those verses, couldn't we? But here's the point I want you to see this morning. Human beings were created as free agents in God's creation. We have minds. We have desires. We have wills. Our choices affect the world around us. And our choices affect the people around us. And, of course, all of this is what makes love, real love, possible. Real love is only possible with freedom. But that freedom also makes possible pain, real pain. If I am free to love you, then I am also free not to love you. And, of course, this is exactly what happens in Genesis. Does God create suffering? The Christian answer for centuries is no. Suffering is a result of sin. Now, you might say, okay, Aaron, I'm with you on that, but... Couldn't, have God, couldn't God have designed a better system, right? Couldn't God have come up with a better way? In essence, our second question, couldn't God have created a world without suffering? It usually goes something like this. If God is all-powerful, if God is all-good, couldn't he have made a world where there simply was no suffering? And I suppose the answer to this question simply is yes. Of course, God can do whatever God wants. If God wanted to create a world with no suffering, if God was content with a world that had only minerals or maybe plants and vegetables, assuming they don't suffer when you boil them and put cheese on them. But because people, watch this, by nature are creatures with a will and with the ability to choose and to act, our very presence in such a world means that there's a possibility of suffering. And a possibility of love. You might think of it this way. You could say, Aaron, as a dad, aren't you able to plan the perfect family vacation where there is no drama, no conflict, no stress, and no arguing? Can I get an amen, dads, right? Well, of course I could create that vacation. I just wouldn't be allowed to go on it because I bring the drama and the conflict and the stress and the arguing, right? My presence violates that. Do you see? You might think of it in this way, too. Uh, See, what's really at stake here is not God's ability to create a world. It's a question of logic. If people are creatures of free agency, which we are, the ability to choose to love and to harm, then can God create a world in which there are people, but there is no free agency? They are simply mutually exclusive. It's like asking, can God create a world where 2 plus 2 equals 4 and a world where 2 plus 2 does not equal 4? You see, they simply cannot go together. But what's really profound about this question is not the philosophical kind of nerdy stuff. 
What's really profound about this question is what it suggests to us about God. Namely, that the sheer possibility of you getting to know and to experience the love of God, he thinks is worth the risk. That your very existence matters to God. Listen to how Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, describes this in the Bible in a speech that he's giving in the city of Athens. He says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. The reason, the reason he did this is so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Could God have created a world without suffering? Sure. But it would have been a world without people. And he thought people, he thought you were worth it. Which leads to our third question. Okay, God did not create suffering. Uh, People in the world necessitates this kind of free agency. So what is God's solution? What is God's response to this problem of suffering? Well, this is where the Bible gets really interesting. And it's unlike any other religion or any other worldview. The vast majority of religions in this world are about avoiding pain. How do I break free from pain? How do I steer clear of it? That's our very American culture. How do I find as much comfort for myself as I possibly can? But God does not take such an approach to our suffering. God does not distance himself, nor does God abandon his whole project. You know what God does? Unthinkable. In Jesus, God chose to enter into our suffering and take it upon himself. Every last bit of it. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus hundreds of years before his coming. He says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, for by his wounds we are healed. Isn't that interesting? Man of sorrow, man of suffering. This is who Jesus was. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, describes the suffering Jesus this way in his letter to the church. Christ suffered, Peter said, and died for sins once for all. He, that is Jesus, never sinned, and yet he died for us who have sinned. He died so that he might bring us to God. The unthinkable unimaginable response of God to suffering in our world is that he has entered into our world and taken that pain upon himself. Why? So that he might redeem it, that he might heal it, and ultimately that he might end suffering in our world forever. The very last chapter of Revelation gives us a picture of that day in the future when Jesus will come again to do it John writes this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that's kind of the synopsis of the head portion of suffering. Did you track with that? Did God create suffering? No. Could God have created? Well, he could have, but he didn't. 
because he thought we were worth it. And third and finally, God did not abandon us to our pain, but he has entered into suffering for our sake, that it might be healed, redeemed, and ultimately done away with. That is what Christians believe about suffering. But now, I want to take all that stuff from here, and I want to press it down into our hearts and lives where it really counts. It was just about this time uh, last year when I met my friend Ming, and uh, I knew from the moment I met her that she would need to come and meet you all. And I'm so excited for uh, you to have the chance to do that today. So would you give a loud, thunderous Westlake welcome to Ming Towner. Thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome. Yeah. Well, Ming, we, uh, you know, we talked. That the church has heard about you before. I've told some stories about uh, you. I hope he's a good one. <laughs> I pay him a lot of money to say good thing about me. Well, Ming, I, I still remember um, the, the first time we met. Uh, Ming and I are in the same doctorate program at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Uh, and in fact, uh, Ming is doing her dissertation on the spiritual formation of suffering. So get yes. ready for that. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Ming and I first met, and uh, we did not know each other, but uh, the program was a two-week intensive. It's over multiple years. A two-week intensive in Connecticut. And so I had to fly to Boston and then figure out how to get from Boston to Connecticut, which for this kid from L.A. was quite a feat, uh, having never been there. So I sent an email to the group and said, hey, can anybody help me get from Boston to Connecticut? And no one responded. And, and then, Ming, I don't know, what I, did you just feel sorry for me? Uh, what what, what well, happened? Well, as a Christian, yes, I do feel sorry for you. <laughs> and I, I, I look at the group and I said, nobody answered this guy. And he's from L.A., that's what he say. And we have two Aaron in our class from L.A. So, but at the end, I just said, well, nobody pick him up. I better respond. And I tried to kind of refrain myself because I know that I'm female and he's a male based from the name and I don't want to jump on and say I pick you up and I might scare him away <laughs> but obviously nobody wants Aaron you know? so I just said okay and I have no idea Connecticut and Boston you know, I'm a worse person so with the sense of direction rely totally on GPS so I, I said okay I'm picking this guy up you know, and and few people in our group said, "Are you sure?" You know, is it a bit fair? Why? I said, "Well, nobody pick him up. Somebody have to do it." Uh, and nobody in my group, gentlemen, offered to go with me and pick up this guy. <laughs> so I said, "Okay, I'm going." You know, so I drove, and I didn't realize it's three hours. So I was thinking, I said, "Oh gosh, you know, three hours." So I pick him, uh, Aaron, up and. And that's it. No, no, we strike the conversation. And, yeah. Ming, Ming was already in Connecticut, and she drove three hours out of her way to get uh, poor old me. <laughs> and, uh, but what we quickly discovered on that ride was that there was kind of just a providential connection. Mm. And uh, you know, we, we spent the next three hours together driving from Boston to Connecticut, but there was a third person in that car with us that day and what we both recognized was that third person in the car with us that day was the Holy Spirit. Mm. 
And uh, it was just a sacred kind of time as Ming mm. shared her story with me. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted the church. I wanted you all to hear this story mm. too. Um, so Ming, let me, let me jump in. You were born uh, in Vietnam, uh, it, as Americans would say, before the war, though you lived yes. in a kind of perpetual war kind of yes. zone there. Yes. Before the war, uh, and uh, your family lived in Saigon, yes. and then uh, when you were about 11 years old, the Viet Cong, the communist North, North Vietnamese, came and attacked your city. Mm. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened. Um, Yes, I was born in Vietnam, in the South Vietnam, and um, that it was in 1968. So, so some of you might know about the the fall of Saigon, the Tet, actually the Tet offense. And um, it was on the second day of New Year. Vietnamese, uh, we celebrate the same New Year with Chinese. So we celebrate New Year on the lunar calendar year, and we had three-day celebration. And I remember it was on the second day, and um, I was kind of like going to sleep and hear the loud noise. And that is when my dad, I can feel my dad come up near my bed and pull me down to high. So, so in, in that, I call a very short time, but it seemed for me like a long hour. But our house really been bombed. And so the house, half of the house was exposed. And the part that the house exposed, it was where my dad and and my younger brother, actually two younger brother and sister and myself, I'm the oldest in the family, been exposed. And uh, the communists, the soldiers, already in the city. So they, they already take force in. So they kind of like, uh, call us out and line up with many other Vietnamese people. So that's where uh, the interrogation starts. And uh, when the soldier, the I call the the captain, I call him, he's, he looks like he's in charge. So he called my dad to, when the turn, the turn come. Uh, and before that, you need to remember there are many other Vietnamese people before. So he started to interrogate. And during that interrogation, that he, he shot few people. So I watched it and I knew the intensity that this is not good. So when come to my dad, he was kneeling down, let's say on here, and I was standing about there with my younger brother and sister. And uh, he was asking whatever he asked, but I could hear my dad say that, oh, let them go, they mean no harm to you. And I knew that, that my dad referring to us, you know, and, um, and, uh, and, and the, the, the captain Kalecker making jokes said, oh, well, that's what you say, that is it, it true that they may no harm. So my, my dad repeated that the second time. And at that same time, he was looking at me in the angle. And uh, I was looking at my dad. And uh, I wanted so bad to tell him that I love him, but I couldn't. I couldn't uh, say that. But first, because in my culture, we don't express love by saying, I love you, to stop it. But at that moment, I don't know why, but I felt that I wanted to say that to him. I wanted to say that to him, but I didn't. So what did the, the captain say at the end? That, well, you go, you go, you go with your, your children. Let's see how fast you want 
you know. And my dad, he got up the second time when he'd been pushed and just come to me and he grabbed my youngest sister because she's the youngest. She was only about three years old or, or, or about four. And he turned to me and he said, run, just keep running. And we just turned around and we ran towards our house, whatever lab in our house. And, and at that time that we have a lot of dead body already on the cross, on the, on the ground. And I kept running and I said to my dad, I said, oh, I can't run, you know, because I see the body and I don't want to step on it. My dad said, keep running, keep running fast. And then I started to hear the gunshot. So I knew that the captain and the soldier started shooting us. So we just ran, we just ran. And, uh, and that's when my dad and my younger brother and sister died. They were killed. So it was hard. It was kind of like uh, we wanting to survive. And, uh, and uh, my dad is not a believer. So the hardest thing for me is um, I was raised in the Catholic school. So I know about God, but he never raised as a like a, he's not a believer, but the first time I hear him running for life, and he said, oh God, oh God. And that's the first time I heard that from his mouth. And it was painful. It was painful because he calling out for God. I knew about God. And my dad it was still killed, being killed, and my younger brother and sister. So it's very true. A lot of questions for me then about God. Yes. Something un- unthinkable, violence and tragedy. Your father is killed. Your two youngest siblings you, you are killed. Mm. You and your uh, slightly younger brother are able to escape. Yes. Um, but this is just the beginning. Yes. You would later try to um, flee the country. Yes. Uh, on two occasions, both times unsuccessfully. Yes. Uh, and then that resulted in you and your brother being imprisoned, uh, though you were kept in separate quarters. Yes. Uh, in fact, at one point in a, in a cell where it just, just pitch black. Mm. Um, t- t- uh, but yet in that cell, uh, this teenage girl, uh, had, you have this experience. Yes. Um, with God that kind of marks you and changes you forever. Tell, tell us mm. about that experience. I think that when we, for me, when I was in such a despair, I'm holding on whatever it had left for me is hope. So I hope I'm holding on that. So in that cell, in the prison cell, uh, just to give you a capture of my daily work or life in the prison cell for me, it was we work on the labor field, you know, like where the, the, the corn field or the rice field, we go every day, go out there, and we come back, we have a food, like a soup type of thing, and uh, in the evening, depends on who pick on us, that the woman entertain the soldier, so that's our life in the prison. So kind of like, a, you know, you just live day and day and hope hope for something, hope that you can get out of this place. So one night I was lying in the prison cell, we got like a cement bench, like our place to lie, and um, we were giving each one of us that we got a a blanket 
and stand with U.S. Army. You know, I, did, I thought it was irony. The communists using U.S. Army blanket to give it to me to keep warm. <laughs> and um, and my, uh, I have a one a cellmate. You know, she, she's a bit older than me. And somehow, I never talked to her about religion or faith, but that night, I just so desperate to hear maybe searching. So I was asking her that, do you believe in God? And uh, she looked at me and she said, uh, well, you know, the, I don't know why, like, uh, why you talk about God? Because if there is God, you and I would not be in this cell, you know. And her answer makes sense, logic to me. You know, part of me said, yes, that's true, you know. I didn't do anything harm, you know, to anyone. And he looked at my family turned upside down and, mm. and everything. So it makes sense, but another part of me didn't want to believe that. It has to be more than that. So I want to believe in God. So I lie on that cement bench and start to cry quietly, but pouring out and crying to God. I say, God, you know, if you are real, you have to show me a sign, a sign, any sign. You know. So at that, and I just cry, and then suddenly the prison cell is very dark, pitch, and suddenly I see a ray of light on the wall that is so short, and I say, oh, there's light. And I follow that light, and I look out, it was outside to that worse, uh, win- prison cell uh, window, and I saw in outside in the sky it was dark, but there's a little tiny star. That little tiny star gave enough light to shed through the prison cell for me to see. And that was the way of hope that God told me that, hold on to me, I'm with you. Mm. And I have not abandoned you. So that was good. That was uh, kind of like uh, I was sinking in the ocean, and that way of life is the floater that I was holding on during my prison cell. Yeah, and and um, and God continued uh, a provision. You know, I mean, in the sense that uh, I think that um, uh, show me miracle continue throughout my journey mm. in the prison. Mm. You know. Well, so you reach a point, and. Uh this part of the story I did not know until this last week. Uh, somehow I missed this on our, on our uh, three-hour journey from Boston to Connecticut. Because he was so tired. <laughs> and I looked at him I said, Oh my God, I don't know how this guy can last two weeks in our class. Because I could see that he had not had much sleep. And I, so, so that's why. <laughs> yeah, I probably missed Well, uh, this next part was in, in, uh, just incredible to me. So you... Uh, you, you are able to bribe a guard mm. to help you escape. And yes. uh, not just you, but also your brother who's in a different part or different prison altogether. Mm. And, and the way of escaping was that this guard arranged for you and your brother to meet in the bathroom mm. and actually escape through the sewer system like Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Is that yes. unbelievable? Tell, tell, tell us about that. Well, um, I was, I don't know, you, you call it fortunate or unfortunate, but I was uh, picked by a, an officer. So I, I meet with him, you know, I mean, uh, so our relationship, like I get to know him, and uh, one night it struck me that gave me the courage. I said to him that once I know that he kind of liked me and he seemed very kind, believe it or not, I felt that he, he's got that kindness in him. So I said to him that how much I wanted to get out 
from the prison. I wanted to escape. And I asked him that, would you help me? You know, and I just said that, and he just looked at me, and he didn't say much, you know, and he just said, you know what you ask? And I said, I know, I know. You know, so he said, and he did not talk about anything more. And then a night before or after, um, then he said that, then he go back to that subject. He said, you know what you're asking me? You know, I said, I know. Uh, and he said that, uh, and he said, you know that if I help you, I can be in trouble. I said, I know. You know, and then he said that if I help you to escape, you know that if you've been captured, I will be the first one to shoot you. Because he can't afford for me to be captured and be tortured. Because then I will have to tell the truth that who's going to help me, who helped me to escape. So he can't risk that. You know, he has to make sure that I have to be killed before I've been tortured. And, and I have been going through torture before. You know, I mean, so I kind of like it's a better deal to be killed than to go through the torture. I said, oh yeah, go ahead, kill me. <laughs> You know, I have no heart, no fear, you know, so he's kind of like, uh, accept that. And then I said, oh, but I can't escape if you can't help my brother to escape too. But so we, we come to an agreement with a bargain that I will pay a ransom once I get out of the country and send to his family in the South some money for payment. So we did that. So he told me that that night when I come to him, he said, you go to to the toilet, you know, they go out there, they got the rain or, or lay of toilet. He said, go to the number three or whatever, and go in there, and there's a toilet, and you go through it. And I literally think I have to squeeze through the toilet. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm small, but I don't think I can get through that hole. <laughs> you know? And they said, no, 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 you have to push it, push it aside, and there's a hole bigger. And then you go down there, and then you have to make sure you push the toilet back. You know, so and um, and God really give me the strength because I don't think that I have the strength to pull that toilet back, but I did it. And uh, uh, you know, when you want to survive so bad, that sewage, it didn't smell too bad, really. It's actually smell so it's not too bad. I can handle this, you know. And uh, you don't need to know which direction you have to go. You don't need the GPS because it's a tiny hole and you're just going to it. You know, so you can't miss the, the left or the right turn, you just keep going straight. So, so kind of like uh, I get there, you know, I mean, I just keep going and, and I, I was very fearful. I could hear my heart beat, you know, and I wasn't questioning that is it true that this officer really helped me or maybe he's waiting for me to get out the other end, own the guns and point me and shoot me. But I continued praying, got through that. But when I get to the other end, I couldn't see my brother then. So I start to really cry because that, that intensity is so high that by that time, I start to cry. And I said, God, you know, you have to, is my brother alive? You know, I can't go without him and I can't come back because they're going to kill me. And just for a little while that I hear my brother's voice calling, whispering, calling, so we reunited and continue our journey of escape mm. then. Mm. Yeah. So that leads you and your brother to the shore. Yes. A, a third attempt to escape the country. Yes. Uh, you told me at that point um, you did not know how to swim, but you, ju you, you had yes. to just walk out into the ocean yes. trying to board this ship. How yes. scary that must have been. You get on this boat. Yes. 
um, and, it, and, and it's a fishing boat. Yes. Uh, t tell us about that part of the story. Uh, we, will set, we start the boat and uh, we pay the money. And the third time when I escaped, I had no more money to pay. So I strike the deal with the fisherman, you know, like uh, uh, if we get to the foreign country, he wants to get scared. He wants to leave the country, but he didn't know anyone. So for me, that it was easy bargaining. I said, you can be my husband. I, I have connection overseas, so we can get to that. So that's my way of, uh, my wages to pay to him. So when we got to, to on the boat, and we float at sea, and... Uh, we, we were nearly die because we didn't have enough food provision or water. And uh, we also witnessed a lot of people, other people being attacked and killed by pirates, sea pirates, you know. So, so we see a lot of dead body at sea, you know. And, uh, um, and I share with you one example that we, uh, um, we, we saw this man with a, a child, you know, floating and waving to us. So we come and we save him. We, we got him on the boat, and he was telling us that, oh, I have three more children out there, and they bigger, you know, this is the youngest one. And he said, can you save them? And the captain said, we can't. Our boat is just about sinking. It's too heavy. We cannot bring any more people on. And the man just crying out to us, you know, asking for mercy. Please have mercy on me, you know. Please have mercy on me. And the captain said, that, no, we cannot. I said, you have two choices. Whether you come along with us, we save you and save your baby. You know, he's only about like two, three years old in his arm. Or you go back to the water and uh, be with your children, wherever like, they are out there. And, um, and the man, he's told about, he's begging us. And, uh, and at the end, he know that the captain not going to change his mind, so he chose to come along with us. But the, the hard part for me is he look out, looking out, his children, you know, far away, floating, holding on, on whatever piece of cardboard or whatever they got, and calling out the, to them and say that, Daddy, come back. Daddy, come back. Are you? And he and I know we will not come back. I know he and me, we will not come back for them. And for me, that's painful. Because I'm asking God, why you have to put me witness the choice we have to make who lives and who dies. Because I thought God is the only one can decide who lives and dies. But obviously, my dad killed my dad, who was designed to be lived or dead by an officer, by a communist. This man, you know, we have to make the decision the whether we save him and we let the truth. So we making the decision, not God. So it was painful, yes, mm. painful for me. And I felt I got over this because I tell my story quite a lot, but it still affects on me. Yeah. Yeah. Ming, you, uh, your story of struggle does not end there. Uh, you eventually make your way to Paris, which was uh, the rendezvous point for family. That was the plan. Imagine a world pre-email, pre-cell phone, right? What do you do? Yeah. So the rendezvous was in 
uh, France, and eventually you reconnect, find out family, you, you uh, relocate in Australia. Yes. You get married. Yes. You have two children who are now adult children. Uh, yes. Who are uh, beautiful and thriving in Australia. Yes. Um, but your marriage is struggling, and yes. that, that marriage does not make it. Yes. Uh, and then you uh, relocate to the U.S., and you are now in a second marriage. Yes. You then become ordained as a Presbyterian minister and chaplain, and now your full-time vocation is walking with people through grief, suffering, and loss. So, with that, I want to ask you three questions Mm. that we kind of want to know or would like to know about your story. Question number one. Where was God in the midst of all of that suffering? I think God is, has always been with me. But I was too busy to be in my self-control, trying to establish my self-survival instead of come to God. So I didn't recognize him. You know, He's there, but I didn't see, I didn't hear him. And uh, I, was, I become self-reliant. You know, even I come, I got out of the country to France and to Australia, Mary. I still living, uh, I call the way that I live, I conform my life with the world. You know, how the world expect me and I want to be like that. I did not allow God working me to be transformed mm. by the world. But I conform myself with the world. So I struggle. I struggle through my marriage. I struggle. You know, and I continue to struggle in a different way, being a Christian, you know. So that's one. And um, uh, where do I see the suffering? Um, I think that the suffering uh, shaped me to be the person who I am today. Uh, if I didn't suffer with my suffering, if I didn't suffer, I would not recognize what it means mercy. Mercy is when I surrender. I couldn't longer do it for myself. I'm asking for mercy from God. If I didn't suffer, I would not. And I didn't get the mercy from God, then I would not know how great God's grace for us, Mm -hmm. for me. You see, when we are in the state of mercy for me, it's because I no longer can be self-reliant. I totally surrender to God and say that, God, I can't do this anymore. That's where God's mercy come in, and that's where God's grace come in. Say that, you know, it's by faith you are saved. I love you and I save you, but not because you are perfect, but because you are so broken and I love you. And I will bring that brokenness so you can become a uniqueness that it will be the outcome of my work through you. And that's where I see my suffering. That's good. And that, yes. I mean, we, we talked a lot about this. Um, you know, there's a story in the Bible that many of these folks will know of, uh, the story of Joseph yes. in the Old Testament. And Joseph is um, beaten by his brothers. He's, uh, they're for, at first going to kill him, and they sell him into slavery. He spend t- spends time in prison. Yes. He's in a foreign country. Um, and yet at the end of his life, 
the people who did all these things to him are standing before him mm-hmm. and he forgives them and he says uh, what you intended to do to harm me mm-hmm. God has used for good yes. and the uh, Romans picks up this very same idea saying that God can take everything from our lives the good, the bad, and the ugly and he can bring it together for good how have you seen God use your story for good? I think God used my story in the sense of bringing hope to people wherever you, the person, wherever you all are I don't know your path of life but I'm sure that we all experience some suffering in one way or another you know and each one of you, your suffering is as heavy as you can, you know, as you experience it. So, you know, I mean, I thank God that not every one of you have to go through the sewage like me, but doesn't mean that you don't have your own suffering. Mm. So I think that, you know, for me, that being a Christian, we need to realize that suffering comes along the way. It's a package deal, really. <laughs> you know, you cannot say that you have french fry without ketchup <laughs> I mean that's the way I look at it. Well, my daughter that's what she said to me you can't eat french fry without ketchup so so being a Christian and, and in the bible like you know you mentioned about the, that they all suffering and the thing that one thing that when we go through suffering we also feel lonely isn't it mm. we feel that the whole world nobody understands us but I, I, if I may, last night I couldn't sleep, not because I have a bad host. I have a wonderful host. It's just only for me that. But God spoke to me, and I like to share this with you. Because when I say that the, the loneliness, that uh, when we're suffering, and this is from uh, actually Henry now and say that um, being a Christian, the Christian way of life does not take away our loneliness, but it protects and cherishes. It is a precious gift, you know. And then he go on. He said, in solitude, that's when we feel lonely. We bring that become a solitude. We can become a gift to ourselves. There, we also can become a gift to others by reaching out to them, not greedy for attention and affection, but our offering our own self to help build a community of love. So solitude does not pull us away from our fellow human beings, but instead make the real fellowship possible. So you'd be surprised that through your suffering bring you closer to someone else, mm-hmm. that they feel that you can work in that path with them at that time, even they don't, might not say that. Hmm? Ming, last question, and just a, a, in a sentence or two. What, for those who are here today, what... What encouragement would you want to leave them with? What, what, what final thought would you hope to impart to our church? I, I think that um, my... Uh, probably I say that uh, I will use Romans 12 to 12, say that rejoice in hope. Hold on to that hope. And uh, be patient with your tribulation. Be patient with your suffering. You know, even you might feel that it's for eternity, but it is not. And be constant in prayer. We don't pray enough. The power of prayer is very powerful. Be surrounding with the cloud of witness. You know, with your brother and sister in Christ. They will be the one that work alongside with you 
we pray with anything, you know, because you need that. You know, nobody could, God create us not to live alone. We are not in the, you know, on the island. So hold on to that. I want to see that all of us, when we face the law, that it, God say that we can say to God that I have fought my, my fight. I have finished it well. Mm. And God will say to us that you are a faithful servant. Beautiful. Ming, thank you for the way you have walked with me. And thank mm. you for your friendship. Uh, would you pray for our church? Would sure. you all stand? I'm going to ask Ming to pray for us. Okay. Oh dear God, we, uh, we thank you that you, your sovereignty and your presence continue to reveal to us in every circumstances. Lord, that teach us to be obedient to you. Teach us to be faithful to you like you are faithful to your people. Thank you for your word that we, we learn, we hear, and uh, that is our foundation. Let our root of faith, of that tree of faith, ground it in the ground so we can stand with the storm of life come to us. Lord, I thank you that you use my story is your story to reveal your grace and your mercy and your love on unconditional love for us. So Lord, that help us to continue this race with perseverance and knowing that we want the race for you. Mm-hmm. Help us to keep our eyes on you, on your son Jesus, in all things we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we respond in song?